Hello and welcome to the Good Mood Podcast. My name is Dr. Talia Markajani and I'm a naturopathic doctor. And today's episode is called Visceral Reactions with Dr. David Miller, ND, aka the Gut Gangsta. It takes guts. You know that feeling, the trembling, clenching, and nauseous pit in your stomach feeling when your nerves are on edge or the gut-wrenching sobs when you're sad. You also know the complete and utter intestinal devastation that almost seems to precede a panic attack. Or, you know, just gut feelings. Visceral reactions, the gut-brain connection. Our gut is sometimes termed the second brain, connected through one of our cranial nerves, the vagus nerve, which is Latin for wandering nerve. The vagus nerve sends information from brain to gut and back again. I would say that nine out of 10 of my anxious or depressed patients have something going on downstairs in their guts. Anxiety and stress are often thought to cause IBS. This is why antidepressants are sometimes prescribed off-label to treat IBS. Dr. David Miller, fellow naturopathic doctor, co-host of That Naturopathic Podcast, and self-proclaimed gut gangsta, works a little bit differently. Dr. Dave works from what he calls the butt up, taking the stress off of our system, our mental and emotional system, by soothing gut inflammation and creating happy tubes so that we might better deal with the stressors of life. You see, gut issues can also cause mental health issues. It works both ways, and science is showing it might actually work from butt to brain more than from brain to gut. Dr. Dave and I talk naturopathic medicine in general, We discuss the vagus nerve and its role in depression and anxiety and how it can optimize digestion. Most of all, we talk about Dave's passion, visceral manipulation, and how to, what he calls, listen with your hands to correct structural abnormalities in the organs that help us digest and assimilate the food we eat. I keep referring back to this discussion now when I work with patients. The idea of taking stress off the organs and reducing inflammation in order to help us deal with life stressors has stuck with me as I approach my mental health cases. And of course, I've personally gone back to popping deglycerinated licorice lozenges, and you don't know how many times I had to practice saying that, deglycerinated licorice lozenges, especially the chocolate and coconut flavor, uh, like it's my job. And well, it kind of is, isn't it? I hope you enjoy this episode. Oh, welcome, David Miller, Dr. David Miller, a.k.a. the Gut Gangsta. Thank you. I might have to change my name. Some po- I'm 40 now, so I might have to change my name at some point, but for now, I'm oh. the Gut Gangsta. Ooh, any ideas on what it would be? Maybe the Gut Whisperer. Right. As you I don't know. To, yeah, as, as your maturity allows you to calm down and, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As the wisdom goes up and the testosterone goes down. Um, yeah, it's like less yeah. gangsta, more gut whisper, gut massager. Because so we were talking before we started recording on, we're, we're going to talk about the gut-brain connection. And uh, we're talking about how maybe I'm more of a top-down, so brain to gut or brain to butt, and you're more of a, <laughs> of a bottom-up. So yeah, butt, butt, to brain. butt to brain. <laughs> so we might yeah. be treating the same problem, but literally from different... <laughs> perspectives <laughs> yeah but the both are important right and um maybe as as uh sort of evidenced by like the vagus nerve is probably something uh, do you talk about the vagus nerve a lot i would imagine you do i i talk about it a lot with patients but we, we have not talked about the vagus nerve in this yeah. podcast yet so let's really let's dive in yeah i don't think yeah so. i'm not a I'm not an expert in the vagus nerve uh per se but what what i've noticed i thought was really uh interesting to to talk about with you because lately I've seen a lot of like vagal symptoms. So, you know, like your 
flushing or you get um, symptoms of like thirst or hypotension where you feel like your blood pressure drops. Um, what else? Like problems with hunger, all the stuff that we talk, I mean, hopefully your audience knows a little bit of, of your lingo, but like in, in uh, naturopathic medicine or Chinese medicine, we'll talk about like that stomach yin deficiency where you have like this niggling appetite where you just want to eat a little bit, but if you eat too much, it hurts. Um, what other sort of vagus symptoms am I seeing? Um, You're talking about like vagus overstimulation or vagus understimulation? Just dis- I, I will just say dysregulation. I don't, I mm-hmm. won't even uh, specify. There's just something irritating the vagus nerve um, mm-hmm. sensory aspect coming up from the stomach a lot of the time. And so I thought it'd be a great place to start with just talking about the stomach and that vagus nerve connection because it's so important. And um, that takes off some of the heat like we were saying before we got recording. Sometimes taking off some of the heat from like noxi- noxious stimulus from bottom up can just free up um, your mind to deal with the other things that I can't fix. <laughs> right. Like you were saying, like, you know, you know, maybe you're married to the wrong person, <laughs> but that's not really my zone of expertise. So what so I can I do is take, take the stress off your body by removing the, the organ stress that may yeah. be contributing to the, the general stress picture. And then maybe now you have more resources to deal with the other stuff. Exactly. And it's, it's pretty modest uh, sort of expectations, but that's good because I'd rather, you know, under promise and over deliver. But I, I do see often even just simple, simple stuff like, um, I'm, you know, one of the things I'm prescribing almost all the time now is like DGL or Slippery Elm. Because when you calm down the tissues uh, of the stomach, even that can sometimes uh, decrease the, again, noxious sort of stimulary, stimulus uh, going from the, the stomach vagus nerve up into the central nervous system. So very, really basic stuff like DGL, not a real sexy thing, you know, it's, I, I, that's like an 80s supplement, you know. It's delicious. And it comes in <laughs> lozenges that taste like chocolate coconut. Exactly. One so, time I ate a whole bottle. So I'll always tell you, you cannot <laughs> overdose on this. I've tried to. <laughs> But it's like, yeah, it's delicious. It's so compliance. You know, we we struggle sometimes with like compliance with some things, but uh, that's an easy one. And it's an easy win. Now that I know uh, what to look for in terms of like stomach irritation mm-hmm. and how that may have implications on uh, like anxiety, uh, like just taking a little bit of the edge off. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You know, it's not something you'd, you'd we sort of generally think about, we'll think about like L-theanine or GABA or all these nervines, but it's um, sort of like a a way of looking at how the organs affect the brain and then affecting the organs. Yeah, because it's kind of like chicken and egg. When a patient comes in with their main concern being anxiety, they'll say, you know, I often don't have an appetite, especially in the morning, or I feel nauseous. Yeah. A lot of these blood sugar kind of symptoms. And I'm looking at that from a blood sugar perspective, and then I'm telling them to eat anyways. But you know, it, it could be coming from the gut or a significant amount of stress input from gut inflammation is what you're saying. Yeah, some of it. And that's what, you know, I'm always hesitant to say like, it's all this. That's like, I think we have this problem in our, in, in society right now. It's, it's like we have this black and white binary thinking like it's all this, it's all that, but at least accepting that there may be a contribution of structural or tissue uh, uh, stimulus from that organ going up that is contributing to some degree Talia like we don't Mm -hmm. again we don't always know exactly how much but I think that's what I'm trying to bring to to my practice and and hopefully at some point to the like to the profession um to sort of integrate this idea of 
uh, structure and function in the gut are huge. And I'm not just talking about structure of cells. I'm talking about like the positions of organs and their ligamentous connections. Like, for example, you know, we, we, in TCM or in Chinese medicine, we talk about the stomach-spleen connection. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of those ones where you're like, what do you mean spleen? Spleen and digestion, like it doesn't make sense. It, right. I, mean, I don't know if it didn't make sense to you, but the spleen is like a, you know, it's like a lymph organ. Yeah, like holds blood. And, and, you know, it's bad if you rupture it. But other than that, you can just take it out and go on about your day. So it's one of those ones where we have this sort of disconnect between like Western anatomical uh, sort of basic knowledge and then like this Eastern idea of like, ooh, it affects the, the digestion. Well, I'm seeing a lot of uh, problems with the spleen pulling on the stomach and because the stomach is, is connected through the gastrosplenic ligament to the spleen. And it's interesting, you're, like, this, a lot of these connections that we have uh, not perfect, um, we don't make the perfect connection, I don't think, in school between the Western anatomical and then the Eastern sort of old wisdom. Some of them I was like, what, really? Th- that doesn't make sense. But this is one of those ones. I'm like, yeah, it actually does make sense. I'm seeing spleen, ligament, pulling on the stomach, and then you have digestive issues. So there's the link between spleen and digestion. Do you see there being an immune link? Like, is that, is there something, an issue with the spleen in terms of maybe it's engorged or there isn't enough lymphatic flow? It could be. I'm, I'm not, I'm not at that, um, I'm not at that level yet. Mm -hmm. I hope, you know, I hope to be, I'll be really good when I'm 80, I say, but, um, but there is a link. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, and there's, there's other, like I've noticed some other links as, cause part of what I do is sort of bored from osteopathy, right? So I, I do a, a kind of, um, uh, it's called listening with your hands and you can feel, uh, restrictions and you can feel fascial tensions and you wouldn't believe how many of them are, are completely related to acupuncture points that you're probably like, okay, I'll do this point. Yeah, I get it. Traditionally, we've accepted that that's a thing, but then when you have the, ability with your hands to feel the connection between like stomach and then stomach 36 that mm. acupuncture point it's like it's like a new kind of uh reverence for that old medicine right well they, it was really observational you know and so i think i've seen the spleen the, the chinese spleen um equated to the pancreas like the western pancreas but then it's still called the spleen so you're right it doesn't fully explain it's not like oh they just got the name wrong you know yeah but it's also, guess what, connected to the stomach. Like the pancreas, it, it, so actually pancreas is difficult to treat kind of with, with what I do because it's like 80% to, um, well, I don't know if it's 80%, but it's it's halfway between basically anterior and posterior parts of the body. So you, I have to feel through things to feel it. Mm. And um, But it's it's basically right behind the stomach and it kind of gets, it's like a wimpy organ. You know, we got a couple wimpy organs, like the pancreas and the thyroid are sort of like, they're wimpy and uh <laughs> but, but but mighty <laughs> they, they're so important making so many chemicals they're those chemical factories yeah they're so important but they don't have capsules right so they're mm. they're kind of like um smushy susceptible yeah they're mushy yeah. They're squishy squishy yeah. yeah so they're protected they're right in the middle well not the thyroid thyroid is right on on the outside but and when we're talking about spleen, what we're talking about basically in, in Chinese medicine, it's um, the organ that, that uh, digests and assimilates our food that creates energy out of the food we eat. Yeah, and generally you'd say like someone with a weak spleen energy, if we're talking like TCM uh, or like a spleen chi deficiency or spleen deficiency would be someone who's like a little puffy, lymphatic uh, 
groups and maybe has some food allergies that lead to low grade chronic inflammation and that sort of stuff. So I always had a tough time, like I said, linking that spleen. I'm like, well, come on, like all the other ones sort of make sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I am the spleen she. That's been my yeah? MO for so long. Yeah. It was my first diagnosis. And I was like, whoa, this makes a lot of sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. can you talk the, about the, the, Sorry, go, go on. No, no, I was going to ask if you could tell us a little bit about the vagus nerves. We've been throwing the term around, but in terms of, you know, what is this nerve and how is it relevant to gut-brain connection? Yeah, so I guess it did start along that. I didn't really fully complete that. But basically, it's a cranial nerve. I would I, Vagus means uh, wandering. Um, so that's the Latin origin of it, which is really cool because it does sort of wander. Like vagabond um, nerve? Yeah, it's a vagabond, basically. Yeah, it just it wanders. Um, and, you know, one of the places it wanders from, like we're talking the cranial nerves, so we're talking high, high brain centers. Um, it wanders all the way through the digestive tract uh, up until the um, descending colon. So it's it's innervating everything aspect of digestion which is which is I, that's why i think it's a good model or like microcosm of the gut brain connection uh, in a way because it's got that motor or sorry sensory and uh effector um mm-hmm. ability i forget the ratio it's not 50 50 i think it's like 70 30 or so or i think it, like oh, you're talking about afferent to efferent i think it's 80 yeah. 20 and 80, 80 20, 20 70 uh, 30 something like afferent. that yeah so i think 80 yeah. percent of its uh, impulses come from the gut to the brain so that tells you the bottom up is is probably relevant um, to some degree, and I think with um, you know with with what we learned uh, in school, I, I didn't really know how to affect the vagus nerve, uh, like other than like nervines and stuff like that. But the vagus nerve is is so important for our, our basically our parasympathetic rest and digest state. Is mm-hmm. that like a good little brief yeah. overview? Yeah, like the, like we've heard of things like, you know, the EFT tapping, where you're sort of tapping different points where the vagus nerve may be more superficial, so like kind of forehead and collarbone. And um, and then uh, there's the gargling and that kind of yeah. yoga breath to the, the back of the throat. I think it, it goes down. And it's, uh, yeah, like we talk about parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest arm versus fight or flight. So this idea that, you know, it might be, I guess overactive, I don't know, these terms you might not agree with, but overactive in sort of like that shutdown, that freeze response, yeah. and then underactive in a high sympathetic arousal, so like active anxiety, panic, that kind of thing. Um, and there's been like herbalists I've, I've listened to, like people like Matthew Wood have said taking bitters can help with panic attacks because it activates the vagus nerve. It kind of stimulates digestion. So I've been working, again, that's top down, ish because we're trying to manage panic by involving the gut and the vagus nerve um but i think it's really interesting when you're talking about let's go straight for let's look at what organs could be contributing to your overall stress load Mm -hmm. yeah no i think if you're talking about bitters for anxiety i think that's actually what i think it's like you're doing what i'm talking about like you're, you're trying to change the environment of the organ uh so as to have a a, sort of like a boomerang effect coming up and I, I think that that is what you're doing probably um, and yeah just a little shout out to the esophagus because I think you brought up the esophagus there like that if you have esophageal like issues like like swallowing issues or like there's like you get some sort of weird feeling in the back of your throat I urge everyone and every practitioner to think about the stomach the mm-hmm. stomach and the esophagus are like they're 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 twins they're like 
brother and sister and and a lot of stomach issues show up through the esophageal problems and the both branches of the vagus nerve are going through the um they're going they travel along the esophagus Mm -hmm. so it's a great indication and that's probably why the gargling uh is a huge is a huge factor too so Mm -hmm. it's like gargling for panic um has this kind of this um calming effect Mm -hmm. yeah Kind of a weird thing to do if you're if you're on the verge of a panic attack and then you just grab some water and start gargling. Get some. It is it is kind of weird, but it it would you know, at least it focuses your your energy on something. I've had no, one it takes your attack. mind off. Yeah, whatever. What the, the present? Don't want anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would gargle. It would be that's that's a good idea. Or you just start throat singing right before your presentation. <laughs> this is how I get ready to perform. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's the, so, and you said you start looking for signs of gastric inflammation. And uh, I mean, what I think is interesting is a lot of our questions, um, you know, so you can ask somebody like, do you have any stomach pain, you have any cramps, bloating, and a lot of people will say no. And then you start getting in there, maybe performing a physical exam, you start noticing immediately that there's something going on. So what sort of things you look for to assess gastric inflammation or suspect that? So, in addition to, you know, hands-on work, um, which, which has informed my practice, like, like it's a whole new world of wisdom that, um, whereas I would look at some symptoms before as a pretty good guess. Now I put my hands on, I'm like, yep, there it is. So it really helps uh, confirm those guesses, but some of those guesses or like, um, you know, clinically, informed experienced hypothesis should isn't more it's better than a guess those would be um like the, any issues with the like the throat and swallowing those those are implicating um the the stomach to some degree obviously reflux i mean that's an easy one and it's actually an easy win a lot of the time reflux and and hiatal hernia you can you can have a lot of effect with hands-on or maybe some um some acupuncture um points those can those are sometimes an easy win uh thirst and hunger and appetite sort of uh strange things that happen like if, if you're thirsty all the time which again chinese medicine right stomach yin deficiency mm-hmm. or or whatever they're gonna they're gonna be thirsty um and then um that niggling appetite that sort of like gnawing appetite that you'd like you want he is something little all the time but not a whole lot at once if you eat too much at once which tells you what, like, if we're I, okay, so let me just back up a bit. I, we talk about microstructural changes or microstructural damages in naturopathic medicine a lot, like using glutamine to support the colonocytes and, you know, enterocytes so that they have the, the leaky gut is, is, um, um, you know, addressed it's by like giving them the feed fuel. the gut cells. Exactly. So we talk about that microstructure, but we don't talk about is the macro. So if, if we're going to, I'd, I'd like to be able to introduce that term now so that if I talk about it, you know what I'm, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, kind of. So sort of like um, it's a perspective that you take, sort of like someone with a microscope isn't wrong. Someone with a telescope isn't wrong. They're both right from a certain perspective. So mm-hmm. when I, when I say like the integrity of the tissues and the mucosa, of you know the stomach or the the intestines that's like a micro view whereas when i say the position and movement of the organ in the body sort of anatomically that's more of like a macro view right it's like oh that's um, not a house it's a pile of bricks you're like well it <laughs> yeah <laughs> on one hand it could be. yeah 
Exactly. Thank you. That, that's it. I love analogies and you've it's just added to my repertoire. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it's kind of like uh, the macro view has been, uh, I think an oversight if I'm just brutally honest uh, in our, in our sort of training and our training is awesome. Like I think our ability as a naturopath to take different perspectives is one of the greatest things about uh, what we do and that's why functional medicine has imitated everything we do and tried to refine it so a little shout out to naturopathic medicine but I'm a you know I'm a uh, I think we we could do better with the macro evaluation so why was I bringing that up when you eat a big meal that that implies that there's some macro there's, there's probably a macro structure uh, structural change going on when we eat it's going to stretch the stomach as a whole yes there could be micro uh sort of tears or or tissue changes happening too so it's not a perfect example but a better example would be in in when someone has a change of position of their body i mean you're not changing the micro structure too much that's not a micro structural evaluation but if someone in a certain like yoga position for example feels an alleviation or uh, aggravation of symptoms you have to think about the macro structural component, you know? So that's a good example of thinking about the, the macro structural. Like when people are told to, to move or to go for a walk to help with constipation. We're Again, thinking, exactly. Yeah. And there couldn't be both. It, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the possibility that, you know, when you go for a walk, there's a little bit more blood flow and, and, and all that as well. It doesn't negate that, but it, it's just, it's a, it's a perspective that um, has like totally blown my mind in terms of like, um, being missing in in our beautiful medicine uh, to some degree, although I know there's some people that that do evaluate structures a lot more um, than than maybe what we were trained to do. But I, I just I feel like it's something the profession needs to borrow a little bit more from like the osteopathic profession, um, and we're perfectly set to do it because we can integrate it with all the other views we have, the, all the other perspectives we're able to take. So and more that hands on. How did you start getting into that? Like what? What sort of led you into focusing more on the, on the uh, on the structural and on the hands-on therapies? Yeah. Well, I I think I knew it was missing, right? So I'm sort of like philosopher type person, and I think of um, I think of like imagine you were a physiotherapist and you never touched anyone's knee, and someone came in and said I have knee pain, and you just sat there with your legs crossed on the psychiatrist's couch and said, you know what? I think it's medial meniscus from these symptoms you never touched them mm -hmm. i was like there's something missing here like i know it's hard to touch guts it's, it's going to be more difficult because they're sort of hidden they're deep they're squishy and sort of this unknown zone and so i i knew there had to be some so i took a couple of like courses that led me um closer and closer to what i think is is the best um sort of evaluation of the guts from from a uh integrating it into a physical exam because that's what i've done i've integrated the osteopathic uh into the physical exam and it it just talia it just it brings it sheds so much more light on gut issues um and i'm just eternally grateful for uh, jean-pierre Barral, of who um who's the french osteopath who knew enough to look deeper uh into that area and so i, I did the Barral institute uh training for visceral manipulation and it's been the best thing for me and my patients and i hope when i get you know um when i get even better at it i'd, I'd like to bring it back a little bit to like integrate some of the the uh, nectar into uh what we do for a physical exam because i don't know if you remember doing like abdominal physical exam but it's pretty it's pretty lame i have yeah. to say 
it's one of the physical exams I, I do the most, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, because it does feel like with just symptoms, you can't tell a whole lot when it comes to the gut. Like symptoms tell us so much, but when it comes to gut symptoms, a lot of us just live with bloating 24 seven. Yep. So it's hard to subjectively know if you're bloated and then you do some t- uh, percussion and then all of a sudden you hear it's like yep. an empty drum. You're like, okay, there's some air in there. Um, but that's it. It's uh, listening, percussion, palpation you know that's my yeah. repertoire essentially but that's good that you do it like and i always give a shout out to any naturopath doing physical exam because I, again we can it's it's an easy it's an easy sort of thing to not, not do it, it, it can it can easily fall by the wayside so like you and anyone else who naturopath is doing physical exams good keep doing it i just felt like when i did it i didn't get actionable precise information It'd be like oh it's tender well, great. Where? Where? What? What is actually tender? Mm-hmm. You know, and we didn't. We couldn't always. Uh, figure, you can't always figure it out. We're told. You know, when I when I see a, a report from like a doctor, it says liver not palpable. I'm like, ha! That's it's wrong. I can I palpate everyone's liver every single time. So it's just like. It's, yeah, me too. Because that we were told that that's normal. If you can't palpate the liver, good. It's not enlarged. So carry on with your day. Yeah. And that's one aspect of, of naturopathic medicine. I think we borrowed a lot from the conventional medicine is, is the, I think we followed just like the, the basic, you know, medical doctor, um, you know, evaluation of the abdomen. And if the, maybe if someone's really good, like there's freaks out there and I'm not, I'm just saying like, I was just, maybe I was just an average student. And I felt like I wanted to know more. Maybe there's freaks out there that they can feel everything, but like you can feel everyone's inferior border of the liver. You can feel everyone's gallbladder if they have one. Mm-hmm. You can feel the edges of the stomach. You can feel the colon. is It's so easy to feel. You can feel all these things. And I felt like when I did my percussion or whatever, I was like, yeah, uh, this quadrant <laughs> it feels not so great. It's mm-hmm. like, I can't really, that's not actionable. So. Right. right, yeah, because you're sort of saying, okay, is it, is it fecal impaction or is it small intestine bloating is a very like it's very um general directions it's sort of like when you see a farmhouse turn left maybe (laughs) yeah it's diffuse right it's not precise and and i I feel like like you'd never be able to feel any sort of um you wouldn't be able to feel the i feel the kidneys all the time Mm. like and and like we were told basically you can't really feel them and so i'm uh, like like i said i'm i that's the test for yeah yeah exactly which is still relevant right that's still a good test it's not a, again i'm not about throwing <laughs> throwing out all the things we learned it's just we could get better with this aspect and um i think i knew it was missing so back to your question i knew it was missing so i searched and searched for uh the best possible um answer and that and that was it the visceral manipulation has totally it has totally changed uh, my practice and my my um confidence in my results like when when someone co- like when someone comes and sees me with a gut problem i'm i can say i'm pretty confident that we're going to get um some insight from the physical aspect and from the physical uh, treatment i'm pretty confident now that we're going to get some results like uh, i'm just being honest right i'm brutally honest like i don't i didn't have that i didn't have that confidence in the past when we rely on probiotics, uh, some fiber, uh, maybe like uh, homeopathic, some herbs, like I love them. I still use them, 
but I use them way more informed now. And like we were talking about DGL, like Mm -hmm. now when I use DGL, I'm pretty damn sure that it's going to impart some benefit. So Mm -hmm. It's true. Like with gut stuff, it feels like a lot of guesswork. And I think then we defer to testing and even choosing the right test is difficult. Like do I do a stool culture? Do I do something like Viome? Do I do a SIBO test? Do I do like a food sensitivity test? And then your patients might be out a thousand dollars if you go down all those routes. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, and like, again, they're not, they're not, I've, I've uh, danced around doing uh, another post about this sort of test. Don't guess mentality. And there's, there's nuance to that. And um, there's some tests that I think are like so uh, irreplaceable um, and, and probably uh, core to, to maybe figuring out more serious things or more, um, uh, you know, things that really need to be investigated a little bit more deeply. But I think the other side of the don't guess, you know, the test, that's fine. But the don't guess side of it is, is the, is the problem. I'm not guessing, right? I'm, I'm, you might be the type who wants to just put everyone on, like you do a stool, like you said, you could spend thousands. You, let's do a food sensitivity test. Okay. Let's do a stool culture. Okay. Let's do my biome or whatever. And it's like, how much actionable, precise information do you get from that? I would argue as a fairly experienced person that you don't get a ton all the time. And a lot of the stuff you decide to do would be sort of generalized uh, interventions anyway. So the don't guess part is is the part that um, I don't mean to um, ruffle too many feathers, but I'm not guessing. Mm. I'm listening with the with uh, my hands and and putting the whole picture together, and that that means my my guess is probably better than most. So that means I don't test very much. Mm. Well, yeah, it's like the way that a clinician, that's the art of medicine, the way the clinician listens and then synthesizes the information in a kind of Sherlock Holmes way. It's like the more experience you have, the more you start noticing these, the nuance, you know, and, uh, and, and you look for things like I'm working right now um, with a startup and they're asking me to do some health assessments and they're sort of like, well, why would you, why do you want to ask about medications? And I'm like, well, I just need to know. (laughs) <laughs> like like the data the, the data um analytic people are like ask like they want to understand the data like why am i asking yeah i'm like i don't know i just need to know well there's i can just so then i have to start justifying why i need to know medication there's justifications obviously for that but it's like well i mean i'm thinking of the patient who's on a blood pressure medication and you're asking me how to assess their risk for a mental health condition i'm like well there's there's just a sense you get you know and it's not based on some woo thing it's just experience that you start to accumulate as you meet so many people and you start to see patterns mm-hmm. and you're looking for like really nuanced information um at the physical level too yeah so i i mean i think i think there's so much information there that's just um not being in- interpreted or not being um heard in the right way until we get really good with uh, with our hands because the body tells uh, the body tells us stuff. Um, just like you know, when you're taking the case and you're, you're you want to know the medications. Well, of course you want to know the medications. I mean, <laughs> yes, it's it's right. very. I mean, they have a huge impact on people's uh, physiology. Right. What is less understood is that you know the organs of the abdomen actually move, right? And and so movement is key, 
you know, I, I use pretty loose analogies sometimes, but like, would you rather get your water from a waterfall or a swamp? You know, like things, <laughs> things need to move. Um, and that applies to the organs too. And this whole idea of organs moving and being in the right position um, is, is kind of, yeah, it's kind of, uh, not, it's not as, I'm, I can't believe it's not more known. You know, when you, you know, when you, what's well, like being a naturopath, like, you know, you walk around, like, come on, of course, like, didn't you know <laughs> sleeping and food might have an effect on you? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So I was like, well, I didn't realize that like sleep issues were a risk factor for depression. I was like, isn't that just, <laughs> that's just like, yeah. pluck that one right out of the sky. Like that one just is there. It's like written on, it's like written in graffiti, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, f- I feel like that same sort of thing has happened with this. It's like, well, of course the organs are, are contributing to these, these symptoms. So yeah. What, yeah. what do you feel like I'm really curious right like because I think I've I've you know seen your Instagram posts and how you're talking about like things that the information that you glean from the fit like that that physical analysis and I mean I've definitely done abdominal exams where there were these interesting things that I couldn't put together because I just didn't have that that specific training like a patient who had some sort of like IBS and had very smushy organs. Like I'm used to some sort of abdominal rigidity with the with the yeah. muscle, the muscles of the abdomen. And hers, it just kind of sunk right in. I feel like there were no muscles there. It's like kind of tissue paper. Um, and she wasn't an elderly person. She was sort of like in her 30s, 40s, I think. And it was just very interesting. I was like, huh, there's something going on here with this like integrity of the muscles. Um, I'm wondering if the things that you pay attention to and, and feel. That's so. What you're doing is, but you might you might have a, a bit of a knack already with it. Like, um, that's that sort of thing is not really. Um, so you, you're feeling something with your hands. You, you're feeling like a difference uh, in terms of what they're they're picking up. And as you as you tune that organ, uh, you, you can you can start to uh, you know differentiate uh, different sorts of sensations. Like I'm getting to the point now where I I feel and I feel crazy kind of when I feel it because I'm like a I'm only a couple years into it, right? And it's—I think it's a lifelong uh, learning. And I feel like I can feel nerves kind of now. Like I, if there's like nervous energy, it feels kind of electrical. And a lot of the stuff is very—it's uh, sort of intuitive. Like um, I took another like an osteopathic class, all on—it's called listening. It's how to like listen with your hands and what different structures feel like is exactly what you'd probably think they feel like. Like a bone feels a little more solid um, and you can connect this is the difficult part that I I haven't heard them they haven't given me a good answer at the course because uh, I ask questions all the time <laughs> but it's like how how do I feel through yeah how do I feel through uh, different tissues but still feel that thing on the other end of the tissues I think there's just a communication between the tissues right so um, sort of like a uh, yeah, like you can feel the skin and then you feel the subcutaneous layer of it and then that communicates with the fat below it and then that communicates maybe with the, the bone. But you can feel the bone. If you put your mind, you're like, I'm trying to feel the bone, you can feel it. And they do feel like intuitively how you think they would feel. Now, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm sort of new to this. So I would love to hear what someone like Baral would say, you know, 84-year-old guy who's been doing this, you know, he wrote the book literally many books and um but they are intuitively what you think they feel like like this stomach feels quite sort of um airy mm. and um the liver's kind of like 
it is, and it, and it, lots of sounds happen in this in this clinic because things do gurgle when you start moving them around. But the liver is a little like thicker and and like thicker gelatinous. Uh, the the uh, large intestine feels kind of like a pumped up, like a half pumped up uh, bike tube. Um, the small intestines are are pretty gooey, like pretty soft. Um, the um, the gallbladder feels like a, a little, you know, like a um, like a bulb that you, like on your um, otoscope or whatever. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. They feel like turkey how baster. you, yeah, or turkey baster, yes. Mm-hmm. So they feel like sort of how you think they would feel. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your favorite yeah. organ to palpate? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, my favorite, you know, at this point, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting good, but I'm still like a, very much so a student, probably the, the colon, because it's, it's easy it's easy to, it's, it's an easy one to start on. It's like a big, it's like a bike tube and you can move it. And like, you know, this really doesn't, this really helps with, I think patient care too, because so I've applied the osteopathic sort of listening um, and integrate it into my physical exam. So like I'm getting a communication with the patient that is awesome for both of us. I'm getting great information and I'll ask them as I feel things you know what if what if we do this what if we move it this way what if we move it this way what if we move it this way what do you feel and they make some connections in their body um that they wouldn't otherwise and so uh i i feel like i started that mostly with the large intestine um because it's it's you know pretty close to the anterior surface so you can feel it fairly well at least on the ascending side on the on the right side and then um less so on the on the the um, the descending side that leads to the the rectum, but um, that was funny that I said but there. But anyway, um, you can um, <laughs> you can um, you can feel that one fairly easily, and and then if someone's constipated, uh, you know, you're probably going to get some benefit there. It's interesting because so much. I mean, yeah, like I really, as you you had that analogy with the physiotherapist who's just listening, like hearing you talk about your knee and then giving you a diagnosis, and it really feels like that a lot of the time. I don't think it's just us; it's it's gastroenterologists, it's everybody. Unless you're doing colonoscopies and and ultrasounds or imaging, it's sort of like you skip past the physical assessment. And it's like a lot of chronic diarrhea is actually chronic constipation with fecal impaction and being able to feel fatty liver. And, and yeah, like that's really useful to be able to, to get into the organs and actually understand what's happening with them rather than just like trying to backtrack from a symptom. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talk on like on the po- podcast that me and uh, Dr. Kara do, we talk a lot about how assessment is really so key to getting a good result. Like if, if you're just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks, like the odd time you might get it right, but like, how do you, how do you reproduce that? So it sounds so simple. Like I almost feel silly bringing it up every time I bring it up, but you know, we romantically talk, I guess, as naturopaths as talking about root cause, but, but really like a pre- even a more sterile term you could use is like a precise assessment. And that's what this does. It, it, it makes, uh, it, it makes what you're doing more precise. Cause you can, you can really, really narrow down where you think uh, the issues are when you know how to feel things properly. Um, like, for example, I'll, I'll do like the slightest little motion on someone's stomach. Like, oh, yeah, I feel that in my throat. So I'm like, see, now you know when you get some sort of throat uh, 
issue. That's a really common one, by the way. You just move the stomach like like a millimeter with the right sort of force upwards. They'll feel it in their throat. It's like, well, now you're making a connection there that you may not have earlier. Or I'll move the stomach. They're like, oh, I feel that in my uh, right, way down here in like in my uh, uh, like where their ileocecal valve is. And you start to make some some really cool connections. And again, the connection with the patient's really good because they they know no one's really been able to feel their abdomen like this and and put it together and and visceral information is kind of it's diffuse too right like um well we have examples of visceral pain like when someone has a heart attack right that's that's visceral referral and what is it like you know what it's we learn about it and it's like oh it could it sort of feels like this it feels like a, a this it feels like a that it's not really it's not really precise right so Right, so or gallbladder. gallbladder issues, yet it's in your left shoulder. But you also exactly. say a lot of back pain, chronic back pain. People that are going to chiropractors week after week actually have digestive issues, maybe. A lot of people. Yeah. Okay, so that's why. That's why. This, this boringness, and the, the best of osteopathic visceral manipulation and applying it to a naturopath is so good because when they go to the chiro, are they talking about poo? Maybe some chirals maybe do. When they go to the chiro, are they, t- are they talking about uh, all the other aspects of health that you and me talk about with our patients all the time? Uh, maybe, but in the hands of an naturopath, who that's like that's our thing. We got all these different tools in our belt and perspectives to view. Now, when you when you say, "Oh, I go to the chiro uh, every week for a mid thoracic adjustment," every week, right. like. It, come on, there's something else going on. And, and so maybe what they need to think about, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I, in this clinic, I work with some awesome chiros and physios, um, massage therapists. And so often if someone's back pain, I'm like, go to them first. Like that's their, like go first. You don't get results within a, you know, a reasonable period of time. Like you're going every week for two months, three months, you're missing something. So yes. that's when I'd say, okay, then we can, then we can uh, maybe um, look at it from our different perspectives. And it turns out that a lot of those uh, pain pathways are shared between MSK or musculoskeletal and uh, visceral afferents. So, and then we have a bias towards the more precise uh, MSK sensitivity. Meanwhile, it's coming from an organ um, and they just share those information highways and the sig- signal gets sort of lost. And again, you go to Cairo, it feels better for a day. Cause again, there's like a bi-directional thing. It might take a bit of stress off for a day, but that's not the cause. Yes. So I feel like there's a lot of mid thoracic or, or neck pain. I mean, I could get into some specifics if you want, but um, yeah, that's what we're picking on the stomach today. I'll tell you that with the stomach, if, if someone's out there listening and they have like shoulder pain, or like, sort of pain between the shoulder blades or, and it feels kind of deep and it's sort of like, sort of like a gnawing, maddening pain. There's usually an autonomic component to visceral pain that can help you differentiate it from uh, MSK pain. It's got this emotional sort of, oh, about it that is different than uh, MSK specific pain. Like if I pinch my, if I pinch my arm in a specific, I know exactly where I did it. It doesn't ruin my day. Right. You know, but when it's got this sort of like, almost like an emotional response where you're just like, oh, I hate this pain. Uh-huh. It's another indication that it's, it's got a visceral component. So, 
I'm going to run and buy some DGL after this talk. <laughs> it's probably something to do with all the coffee. <laughs> and yeah, and then it gets confusing, right? Because then maybe there's a mic, you know, we talked about macro and micro and, and maybe there's some micro irritant irritation going on too. Uh, so then, you know, the, the coffee, you know, maybe opening that, uh, that cardiac sphincter a little bit, or maybe increasing the acidity in the stomach that, that makes the, uh, the afferent sort of sensory, uh, input coming from the stomach, like more. And it's like, yeah, it, it could be a bit of both. What's it? Yeah. The inflammation is sort of sending alarm bells throughout the whole nervous system going abort, like fire, fire, fire. There's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of where the talk began where you were like, yeah, I mean, th- this input from the organs and then input from your environment. So you're like, oh, you know, I have all these issues with my husband, but my stomach's inflamed. And you're like, well, maybe, you know, I don't know, you can see a marriage counselor. But then on the other hand, let me <laughs> take some of the stress off your, off your nervous system by addressing the organ, <laughs> the organ inputs, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's, such a, it's such a helpful it's such a helpful thing to, to realize that that might be part of, part of the picture. And I, I, I'm very thankful for this uh, training for, to get that insight because then I, without the training, I don't think I'd, I'd even think of that, but you know, you know how it is like um, life is stressful, man. There's like, there's shit happens all the time, but if you can just take off, like, you know, that's, you know, there's all these sayings like the straw that broke the camel's back and all that stuff. Sometimes, you just need to take off a little bit of heat and it can make a massive difference so that they can go and then, you know, see someone like you or someone who deals more in the, in the sort of mental psychological sphere to now they have the capacity to even address it. Whereas before they're just like, you know, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll put you as explicit. Okay. Well, they might just say, fuck it. I'm going to eat some chips and have a beer. Whereas now maybe you've, you've calmed down just taking a little bit, maybe 10, 20% off the top. And now they're like, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sit down with, uh, sit down with my husband and actually plan like what we're going to do this week so that, you know, like it, mm. they might just have the capacity now that, that was just, they had no bandwidth before. Now they can do it without directly treating central nervous system in a way. Right. It gives you more capacity to deal with that stuff. It's almost like you need to start uh, uh, maybe manufacturing some bumper stickers that are like, if you don't like my driving, maybe you need a visceral assessment. (laughs) 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 Should be able to handle traffic if you have, if your guts are all in the right place, you know? (laughs) But yeah, you you talk about like resilience and and things like that. You can't not have any stress, Mm -hmm. but just that little, that little bit can make such a, such a big difference. Well, it's like, yeah, like, I mean, if you're, if your stomach feels terrible, if you, you feel physically unwell and then life throws some crap at you, it's, you know, it's not going to go well, yeah. you know, give you a headache yeah. and, and then that, that person's voice who you normally tolerate now, it's just like, it was on a chalkboard, right? <laughs> you know, so I think yeah, your, your capacity to deal with that stuff might be, might be improved. And like you said, it's modest, it's modest in terms of like, uh, you know, I'm not trying to cure someone's life, but uh, I am trying to uh, do a bit of um, martial arts in a way that it's like a little bit of force or a little bit of uh, a little bit of stimulus that that makes uh, a big a big change. And by the way, the visceral stuff is kind of like 
martial arts in a way in that like I've seen I've seen some really rough so when you when we're talking about visceral manipulation like I have seen some rough stuff like um usually I don't want to throw anyone under the bus but I've seen a lot of like Kairos doing um like really rough visceral manips I'm like well you do not need to you do not need to do that so I'm mm-hmm. uh you know I I'm going to make a plug here for anyone who wants to address that to see someone who's been trained in a more of an osteopathic uh, which is a more gentle beautiful elegant um deeper i would say um way of going about it because there's like for example i talked about the pancreas we're sort of picking on the pancreas well you have to be careful with it 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 is a it is a fragile organ without a strong capsule Mm -hmm. so um if someone's reefing on your stomach that's mm-hmm. attached to the pancreas. It's also attached to the spleen, which is also a bit uh, fragile, right? So, mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And I was actually curious, too, what you find when you start working with the organs. You were mentioning, like, people feel this referred, these referred sensations, but what emotions sort of come up? Like, have you seen that, where you start working on their small Ooh, intestine? Great question. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And, and um, we're told that, like, when we get the training, that people can, like, you know, start laughing, crying, um, from just stuff happening in the, in the organs. And I'm, and I'm, you know, like I'm a nerd. So I'm like, how the, what, what is happening there? But there are, um, and I don't know that, you know, maybe a top, uh, uh, neurosurgeon would understand better, but, um, there's basically, there are afferents that come from, from the, uh, organs into certain emotional centers in the brain. And then some wacky stuff happens and you can get some, uh, some sort of release that happens. Generally, what I would say is that people just feel like people often fall asleep or like start snoring when I do it. So like that's not going to happen if someone's reefing on your gut. It doesn't need to be like that. And I would argue that that's sort of like a <clears throat> non-specific good response when when the, you're able to just completely let go and, and sleep on a treatment table. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have had that with acupuncture in the past, or whatever. Same sort of thing can happen with with this so um i've had someone i think someone cry i had someone cry right after doing it she she cried like all the way home and someone started laughing once but it doesn't happen all the time uh, at, at this point but it does it does happen mm-hmm. especially like you know i mean in chinese medicine all the organs are connected to emotions and so large intestine is like grief letting go and so i'm just curious yeah like if when you start you know, sometimes there's this, like, again, the top down affecting the, the elimination of the organ. And then we start working bottom up. Does that, that shift the emotional state? And yeah, I mean, again, that's so cool that Chinese medicine has these, these constructs in place. And, and, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm critical of, I don't just, I, I like the Bruce Lee aspect of things, you know, take what, take what, like from tradition and and the past, take what you want and what makes sense to you and and really throw out um, what doesn't work for you and and be open to bringing in new stuff. Uh, This has actually made me have to do the opposite (laughs) and have to like go, okay, they were totally onto it. Um, And, and when you have, that's, that's when having that perspective of, of the hands-on and it's, it's sort of like instantaneous, right? That's something nice about that too, right? When you do something and you instantaneously can make that connection, uh, that's 
that's really cool. Um, that's a really cool aspect of the hands-on stuff too. But yeah, the the connection between emotions and organs has been there. It's been like, like you said, it was observed a long time ago. Um, but to like confirm it with some hands-on stuff is is uh, is a whole other level. And what I have seen that did we talk? I don't know if we talked about this in school, but I've seen uh, colon issues like uh, colitis and things like that usually or or often I shouldn't say usually often related to some like family some deep sort of family trauma or something like that. That is one that I've that I've seen the large intestine and split in the family or or something maybe some sexual trauma or, or some trauma like that interesting yeah some sort of guarding mm-hmm. like an abdominal guarding that you know sort of not fully let well again it's like letting go so yeah you've had issues with abandonment or some deep trauma intergenerational trauma to fully let go and feel safe uh you know it's understandable yeah. that someone wouldn't easily be able to do that yeah, I don't. And again, I I don't pretend to be. Um, I am. I don't have the wisdom to talk about that. Maybe like like someone like you or or someone who's more gifted in those areas. I just observe the the relation and go, hmm, there's something something there. But yeah, do you share that with them, or are you sort of like, oh, something here's in your cold? And they're like, oh, you know what? Uh, my dad left. You know, when I was five. It doesn't normally happen. Like the couple I've noticed have been they've they've come in and just sort of taken their case like you know like you would take their case and then we do we get it hands on and then um, and then you notice you notice things after not not necessarily like you do it and uh, in the act of of moving something or or mobilizing something I don't necessarily see it see it that way but the you you look after and you go hmm there's a couple there's a couple correlations there that. You can't ignore, and you you know they happen in practice. You see like the same thing like three, four times in the day. Sometimes you're like, okay, remember yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, right. We like people come in groups. You're like, yeah, it's bizarre, right? It happens. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, and what happens? It's sort of like the, when the wind blows, everybody with uh, PMS comes in that day or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I prescribed um, natrium carbonicum. I think three times. Uh, like the homeopathic three times in a day last week. And I'm like, I don't prescribe that one all the time. It's very strange. Bunch of head injuries came in? No, they were, um, they're like, they're, it's anxiety. And it's, it's, and again, there's, there might be, so this is another thing I'm in my big plans is, is to try and inform homeopathic prescriptions with, uh, more, uh, physiological, uh, reliable symptomatology that I feel. And see if that fits with the traditional use of of that homeopathic, because I mean homeopathy. Talk about like a misunderstood, like the redheaded stepchild of even naturopathic medicine, know. you know. And it's got yeah. these all these. It's phenomenology, like we've been talking about. Like you you see this thing and you think it's this thing, but it is. There's a bit of guessing, and if um, if you act like there's not a bit of guessing, then I think you're lying. Um, not guessing, but there's a bit of like trying to. It's a bit of art in terms of like trying to, and it's told a lot of it's subjective and based on what you know and bias. So, um, so, and I consider myself like fairly handy at homeopathy and I'd have to say that uh, that's still the case. Like it's not as grounded all the time. Although pulsatilla seems to be always for temporal bone, uh, ear stuff. And as I get a little bit more involved Mm -hmm. in cranial sacral therapy, I may have more to say about that, but it's a reliable one. 
that way. We have some reliable ones, but I would love to be able to um, inform homeopathic prescriptions better because that medicine is wild. It's the best when it works, but it's just not as reliable. Right. Yeah. My dog is Pulsatilla, actually. Oh, yeah? (laughs) A classic. And what's the symptoms? What's the symptoms? Uh, Oh, like, actually, he does have jaw issues. Like, he just had a couple of. Interesting. Uh, dental removals in the last couple. Mm. But he's super like c- cries all the time, big sad eyes. He's always like, <laughs> and, like just mopey, and he wants to be outside, and he's anxious, and yeah. wants cuddles, and yeah, everybody's like, he's Paul Satilla. Everyone who knows. Yeah. <laughs> and it and it works for him, right? It gives him yeah, some sometimes like a couple of pellets in the water dish. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, like when he's having night anxiety and stuff, it's like you know, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a good constitutional for dogs. <laughs> it's well, it's amazing that it even works for dogs, right? Like, so if people say right. it's all placebo, it's like, well, I don't think the dog saw me slip this into his water, right? Or knew what it was and was like, I guess yeah. I'll resolve that issue that she's yeah. annoyed with. You know, she's definitely trying to help me. I know that remedy. You know, it's yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. no, yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, with homeopathy again. Yeah, kind of like. Um, shy away from that conversation because I just don't know what to make of it. Like I definitely take in remedies and I'm always yeah. like in our little dispensary, like, you know, throwing back some pellets, like, you know, <laughs> diagnosing yeah. myself. But in terms of, and then, you know, yeah, with patients, but it's kind of like a, an aside. So here's your treatment plan and here's a couple pellets of Nat Mir or something, you know, as uh, instead of a central remedy, but, but then, s- Yeah. But see that, see that, that's what most of us do. And yeah. that's why it, will, it, won't, it won't be, it won't really progress in our uh, awesome profession because it does kind of get that backseat. You know, I, I make analogies for everything. I, I think it's kind of like if you're up to bat and it's like swinging for the fences, when you, when you go for a homeopathic you, you, and you're going to strike out a lot when you swing for the fences, right? You're not playing small ball trying to get on base. Um, you're, you're going for the grand slam and it's hard because nothing hits it out of the park, like mm-hmm. a homeopathic, if you hit it out of the park, but ready for some strikeouts. And, um, that's because we, I don't think we have the grounded understanding of how and where it works. And that's why I think, um, that's one of my things I'd like to do is, is try and like find out where, what are the organs that are definitely, um, implicated when a remedy is needed and if it goes with the the, if it goes with the uh, traditional use of that remedy then we need to uh we need to um improve our our understanding of that remedy and and probably shrink our remedies that we use like the number of remedies that we use and and really try and understand them better Right. Uh, right yeah like one might have with an herbal dispensary so it's like thousands of remedies but maybe in a typical naturopath, like herbal, their herbal friends may be like in the hundreds, mm-hmm. you know, dozens maybe. Mm-hmm. But with homeopathics, it's like you could, if you're doing it the traditional way, you can come up with, like, I mean, there's thousands, so it could be any one. So really like working with a few. Yeah, it's tough. Like I, it, I think it's, yeah, it's that confidence piece for me. It's like, do I dare prescribe yeah. homeopathy for this? You know? Yeah, and I don't blame you because you're tr- you're trying to give the pressure's on. You're mm-hmm. trying to give a reliable, reproducible result to people as much as you can, and yeah. so often it doesn't. 
unless it's a home run, like that, you know, you, someone threw you up a meatball and you're going to spank it out of the park. There's very few remedies like that. I would say Paul Satilla is one of the few that are like that. Um, then it, you, it does get, you know, it's an accoutrement, you know, it's, it's sort of like, it's on the side, you know, it's the parsley on the side. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's like a little bit of like mm-hmm. a dab of salt, you know, a little pinch of salt. But the then end. it might be the thing that completely changes their life. And I've seen it enough times that I still use it. Um, but yeah, I, if we can, like some, some of the remedies uh, could, their action could be informed by some of this visceral stuff. Like, um, do you remember Sanguinaria is a liver remedy mm. and, and it's got right shoulder and neck pain. And that's because liver, when it's irritated, and the liver abuts the diaphragm. So the diaphragm, anything uh, diaphragm is like phrenic. So, so the phrenic nerve innervates the diaphragm. And so sensory information from an irritated uh, liver, which irritates then the diaphragm, goes up to C345 in the neck. And that also innervates the shoulder and neck. So now you're getting visceral referral as a confirmation that that remedy might be indicated for liver issues. So there, there's going to be some remedies that I think we can we can uh, make uh, get a better understanding with with uh, understanding like um, anatomy uh, and visceral referral patterns. Mm-hmm. I think. It's interesting because when when I the way I prescribe herbs or think of herbs is more in the micro level. Like what are you know what are the biochemical imbalances or what are the cellular abnormalities that I'm trying to treat. And then what mm-hmm. herb kind of aligns with that, or maybe even energetic patterns, like mental emotional patterns too. But homeopathy, like I don't know if I ever really prescribe herbs based on structural indications, um, mm-hmm. unless it's like pain, you know. But then I'm thinking of inflammation, so I'm prescribing anti-inflammatory and or you know things that maybe reinforce cartilage or whatever, um, mm-hmm. but not like you know thinking of organ systems in that way that you're thinking about them, where you're like, oh, this you know it's liver because there's referred pain and this is going to help shift alignment almost uh, from a structural perspective. Mm-hmm. And then when the structure is, is improved, it's, it's implied probably that the, the function will be improved, right? Like mm-hmm. um, why is a wheel round? Well, to do its job, right? Like there's structure and function is everywhere. Why is, mm-hmm. you know, why is, why are those, um, those cells in the, in the gut shaped the way they are? Well, to do the function that they do. And if they get, mangled like in leaky gut they lose all their shape and villi they don't do the job as well so again applying that we have that understanding on the micro level we just have to sort of say we'll get the telescope out or get the microscope out it's the same it's the same sort of phenomenon or principle right yeah Mm -hmm. so interesting yeah i want to learn about this now like missing so much because yeah i mean that that's all we're the gut people right talia like we really are like it's true yeah, you know, so uh, I think I think I'm happy to hear you say that because um, I feel like we could we really could do better. So maybe you know in the future I'll I'll try and teach some sort of at least the assessment. I don't know if I cleared up that um, that thought that we started a little while ago. It was the the osteopathic uh, stuff I've learned has contributed so much to the proper assessment, which means treatments get better. And I'm not using many. I'm not using like crazy number of different treatments but because my assessment is so much more reliable the the treatment is more reliable and i think that's maybe where um we could do we could do even better in in terms of teaching uh how to how to examine um the the abdomen 
with, with an osteopathic informed uh, approach. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, if you're identifying, okay, the problem is stomach, that narrows down the, p- the potential therapies or supplements you would even consider. Like, okay, exactly. GGL is a good one to start with, and then you're going to get improvement because you know it's stomach-related. Um, but, yeah. And it's reliable, and we sort of know how it works. You know, like, it's, it's reliable. And that's, that, I think that's, you know, as a, as a sort of, like, anxious person who really wants, um, I want reliable. Like, and that sort of came through in, in practices that even if I did well, I wasn't, I'm never happy with like doing okay, you yeah. know? And, and so uh, I wanted always reliable stuff, even though we, we do all right. I think you always have to have the mindset of I can, I could do better and, and be aware of your, your sort of blind blinded spots or po- spots that you just haven't looked into. Um, I mean, yeah. that's the beauty of, of our medicine because we can always go further. Uh, I don't think we're limited by, I mean, I was talking, you know, not knocking the medical profession at all. In fact, the owner of my clinic is an MD. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, a general practitioner is trained to refer. And then the specialists, have, they're, they're extremely focused on their, the, the conditions that they see. And if you come in and you don't fit into those diagnostic categories for those specialized conditions, they're sort of like, eh, end of the line. So like, a friend. And I know you asked, I think it was to your social media. You're like, what are the most hilarious things you've been told by a gastroenterologist about your IBS? <laughs> and one of my friends actually, so he, he waited for six months to see a GI and the yeah. GI like hands him a pamphlet that says diet does not affect this condition at all. Looks at him square in the eye and goes, you have IBS, completely serious deadpan face. You cannot die from this. <laughs> wow. Don't worry. You can't die from this. There's no cure. Wow. Um, you're going to have to take days off of uh, you know, work because you're going to have chronic diarrhea for a reason that you're yeah, not going to understand. Yeah. Um, diet doesn't help. Diet's good for, for health generally, but not for this condition. And my friend was like, wow. Yeah. He's like, natural medicine was the only thing that helped. So he's essentially sent home, disappointed. And then left to Dr. Google things. And it's like, you could see it a, a general ND, you know, and maybe uh, like someone like me, who's maybe not super focused on gut, but has some knowledge and we might, you know, okay, let's tweak diet, let's add some supplements. But, and then if that's not enough, seeing someone like you, we're going directly to you. And there's, there's even more um, perspective that you can gain and it, it doesn't end, you know, which can be frustrating for patients, but it also provides that like, like the, the, the hallway of doors you can walk through continues to go and go and go. And eventually there might be an answer, you know? Mm-hmm. No, it's a, we, it's funny. Like you say that about, um, you know, you don't, you're not an expert in gut, but like, I, I will have to give a plug to all naturopaths are good at working with the gut. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's ironic in a way that, um, a lot of my referrals come from another naturopath, which is Kara, my um, mm-hmm. who who owns a clinic, another clinic that I work at. And uh, it's funny because she could probably handle guts better than anyone who comes, or better than the, than most, right? Because a naturopath. But it takes it takes knowing a lot about something to know that there's maybe someone who knows even more. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like. Um, the irony, but yeah, like any, any naturopath is going to, is going to be able to, um, be able to give you the basics of, of, um, foundational gut things. Then the fact that a gastroenterologist who's, 
been trained like what is that 10 how, how many years of training is that 10 yeah, more at least five but yeah yeah like mm-hmm. that is just i mean again a little i guess i'll just I'm getting older so i just say whatever but like um i'm done i'm sort of done with being too too nice but that's like to me that's like borderline malpractice mm. to, to say that food has nothing to do with ibs mm. is like that's just so blatantly wrong mm. and harmful on a big level when an expert like that this person is probably extremely intelligent and mm. and very very uh influential well, this is the it's, head kingpin of gut right like you would say, oh, the, the GI yeah. rules over the NDs and the whoever, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to me, I mean, that's got to change. That is just like, that's horrendous. And plus, here's the best part. If they, they say that, here's my favorite thing that can happen sometimes. They'll say that and then they'll say, but take this uh, pill. And I'm like, well, where does the pill go? <laughs> oh, into your gut. <laughs> oh, through your digestive system. The same place the food is right got it right like yeah yeah you're relying on absorption yeah i mean like and it's it's interesting because when somebody says food has nothing to do with it it is like okay so is it because there are negative studies on food what did you what did you look at you know how did you test and or are you just saying that we just haven't tested it and so we're just saying it has something to do with it but it's like you know it's as if you walked around with a blindfold all your life and you're like well there's no proof that the sky is blue so well, have you tried mm-hmm. looking at it, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I mean, we know the low FODMAP diet is something that's prescribed. It's usually kind of like a handout, like here, don't eat these foods. And then mm-hmm. there's not really a timeline given. People are like, okay, mm-hmm. I can't eat garlic anymore or apples. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just one part of the story. It's like, okay, these are foods that are um, the bacteria in your gut are eating, which, and some of those bacteria may be beneficial, and they're fermenting these foods and you don't like the, the, the effects of that fermentation. Um, so let's just starve them, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not really including the good ones. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because all the foods that you're supposed to avoid are also beneficial foods. You know, they're all on all the lists of beneficial fibers and things. So yeah, it's a tricky one. That's where gut can be this, this difficult thing like when a patient comes in with ibs it's sort of like we have a lot of conversations around where we're going to start you know um, yeah and in terms of yeah like are we just gonna because a lot of people get better with just bitter herbs but then a lot come back and then it's like okay now we got to start looking at food you're eating or so it's kind of working in layers in that way but it can be a long drawn out process so i haven't refined my approach in that way mm-hmm. well i mean and look you're i mean this isn't your first year in practice with newest a little while and you're you have all the training and everything that you know is possible and you it sounds like you're you know pretty good at it so that says a lot that means there's there's a lot of uh, room that we we can improve in but one thing I, I i'll say is that you know back to the testing thing like you could have i feel like we have a lot of like push for SIBO like this whole idea of SIBO uh testing small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and i think i've done a total of like two tests ever same. Um, one i pardon same yeah only yeah two. yeah well one i one i i was like uh something doesn't feel right about it like it's it's quite expensive um to just have it like a, a baseline yeah. and then and then we have to test after that right. and then we have to monitor treatment after that so we're getting into like a thousand dollars to sort of monitor treatment 
Um, which is one condition, you know, and if you're going yeah. with that condition, my thoughts have sort of interrupt you, but my thoughts have been like, well, if we're going to order a $200 test, it means we're already assuming it's that. So in my internal algorithm is saying like, why don't we just try and sort of treat it? You exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. And then you have to, so you have to look at it um, in terms of, well, one of the things I, I like to, to um, communicate with patients and people in general is that why does anything live where it lives? It lives where it lives because it gets what it wants. There's less of what it doesn't want. And it's got this sort of environment that it, that it wants to be in, uh, you know, maybe structurally too. Like there's, you know, certain bacteria live uh, at the, um, you know, in terms of cavities in the mouth. They're gonna, some live by the gums. Some live in the cavities away from the gums. Like they pick their environment. So if we're talking about like SIBO, like little bugs that live in our guts, we have to go, why is the environment such that they are living there? And so, I mean, you can throw all the herbs you herb down the tube you want, but if the environment, environmental conditions are not addressed, the same squatters are going to come in and sit there. Mm-hmm. And there's many different ways to affect environment. And if the macro view is not addressed, you are, you are completely uh, missing a possible major contributor to the reason that those bugs even sit there. So maybe you've got like strictures uh, or like fascial restrictions in the small intestines, which mean less oxygen, less blood flow. Uh, then the bacteria that live there, they like, they, re- they reproduce slowly. So they, they secrete things that make um, the intestinal transit slower. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't address the, the, um, the big macro structural stuff or like your, say your bile duct, the, the valve, the sphincter vodi that allows bile into the duodenum, say that doesn't work properly. Well, you can take as many choleratics as you want. You can, you can do all that. You can take as much stuff as you want, but if the bile is not getting in there and doing its job, you're going to have malabsorption of fat. You're going to have less uh, antimicrobial um, influence. You know, like the, the macro structural stuff is just, so we already said we sort of already said f so it's so fucking important i i can't overemphasize if your stomach doesn't um you know the the uh the pylorus if it doesn't open and close properly and these are under autonomic influence so like the work that you do with people can have massive effects on all those sphincters and junctions because they're highly highly uh uh autonomic sort of uh reflexogenic points and if if you're stressed, those sphincters don't work properly. And I think even Tanya Lee, who's a great clinician, uh, you know Tanya Lee. Our, uh, we've had her on before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, on our podcast, she's wonderful. She's and she just like she had someone with SIBO, and she's like she gave them some herbs and and some stuff to like get them to calm down, and like SIBO went away. So oh, yeah. the so focus of yeah, SIBO being butt. yeah yeah <laughs> brain to butt is important too. But the focus of SIBO just chasing the end result. Of yeah. of conditions that preceded why the bugs want to be there, mm-hmm. um, that that's the possible problem. That's one of the possible problems with it. Yeah, because um, you still have to backtrack from SIBO. So you've you've run the exactly. test. Exactly. Confirm. Let's say again, the test doesn't confirm every possible kind of SIBO. You, okay, you have some evidence for SIBO, and then you're like, well, is it bile? Like you're not excreting bile, and so therefore the intestine pH is is out of whack. There's no motility. So you're thinking like, okay, and then you know, even if you narrow it down to gallbladder function, what is it? Is it that your bile is too sludgy or is it the sphincter of OD 
so yeah, then you can, then you have to be more precise, like you said. So the more, the, when we're looking at root cause, the assessment precision. Maybe yeah. <laughs> should change that. Yeah. It's like, well, it's a kind of like leaky gut versus intestinal permeability, right? Exactly. Versus AP axis, HP axis dysfunction is like assessment precision. That's the new root cause term. <laughs> <laughs> it's less beautiful, but it's more, yeah, it, it is, it is precise. Um, <laughs> it allows us to be validated. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I actually, I don't, it's, it's different. Yeah, it is different language. Um, I love, like we just had uh, Rich Vuksinich on uh, on the, uh, the nat- that naturopathic podcast we just recorded with him. And he's like so rootsy naturopath. And I, I love all that, that stuff. I absolutely, like he is so rootsy. Like you'll love his episode, mm. I think. Because he's just like, he's got like the naturopathic fully equipped home. Like there's no EMF anywhere. It's got, he's got like R100 walls and like tiny north facing uh, windows and big south facing and he's gonna do permaculture there like he's the he's the most rootsy naturopath herb guy ever mm-hmm. and i love that but my brain more works that other way of sort of like okay assessment precision precision i i i don't know we all have just different ways of, of well i uh, think yeah i think you're probably like me where it's like i want to just do everything like i want to flip your tarot cards but then also like talk about your biochemistry <laughs> And like, it's kind of like jumping, like a leap, like leapfrogging or uh, lily padding to all the different, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me about your dreams. And oh, yeah, here's like, you know, an herb is going to optimize your, uh, yeah. Well, that's that's why it's hard sometimes to like, you know, market to people what you do, right? Because you do, basically you do so many things and that's, that's hard for people to, to sometimes comprehend. Cause when you do many things, they think you don't do anything sometimes that's just psychology, mm-hmm. but um, it does make it um, like your reputation just gets uh, good from, you know, getting good results and, and, uh, and all that. So it's fine. But it also means as an naturopath, I think we have like, it's never going to be dull. It is, no. it is like, is never ever ever going to be dull and i i bet you we're good conversationalists i think but that's why we have so many podcasts because it's really just i mean it's interesting yeah people have been listening to so yeah i'm gonna plug that naturopathic podcast if people are, if you guys are done listening to all the good mood podcast episodes switch over to uh, tnp and listen to episode 14 <laughs> we taming the tiger yeah taming the tiger um but yeah got a lot of hits easy. by the way got a lot of hits taming the tiger did it yeah i don't even know i don't know yeah i mean i have to talk stats after this because i have no idea how to gauge like if i'm doing well or not but <laughs> it's like um but yeah so um i mean i think that's i think that's why yeah because we're we're trained to have conversations and to be curious and to keep asking questions and so it's like easier to have a podcast you're like just doing the same kind of thing except we keep asking why right yeah. We keep asking why yeah. and uh and that's that's been um like like in the conventional medicine approach again i'm not slamming it it's got so many like i was going to be in, i was i applied for a medical school after naturopathic school like i, I was going to do it there's so many strengths about it so i'm not but i'm just i'm critical of i'm hopefully giving like uh good criticism of i do it to myself that's why i try to get better all the time it's not like it's, it's not bad i'm just saying they don't always go very deep in terms of like trying to get to the the core of what's going on. So, and your naturopath will, right. And that's, um, it's, it's 
sometimes hard work, but man, it's, it's fulfilling, uh, it's fulfilling and, and beautiful work too. So we'll keep asking why and keep trying to get better all the time. Yeah. Keep following why down the rabbit hole, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then acquiring new tools and different ways of assessing situations so you can get that precise assessment traveling down to the, to the roots. Or root cause. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, and the roots are informed by the mycelial network. So we're beyond roots now to soil microbes. And now we're at the Rich earth. Talked, Rich talked about that. The, oh, yeah. Like that's the microbiome. Oh, yeah. and all that. that what number is that? I forgot. Uh, this one we just did, so it won't be released for like a, a month or just okay. over a month. But um, but it, I I think I, I know why root cause <laughs> uh, triggers me to be a little bit more precise it's it's because um the philosopher in me into metaphysics and all that stuff i'm like i don't think we know root cause of anything Mm -mm. so um that's that's why i'm a little sensitive to it like um when i think of root cause like i had a i had a a invasive melanoma a few years ago and and like it was like why you know did, did i deserve it is it like in the cards that I had to have this or, or whatever. So I, I think that's why I shy away from root cause as a, as opposed to um, more modest uh, goal of getting as close as possible to the, the trunk or whatever. The relevant wise. Right. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. it's like, well, who created God or what came before the big exactly. bang? Exactly. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. That's a whole other issue. The whole <laughs> Yeah, right. I love metaphysics, but yeah, we're not going there now. <laughs> the next, the next episode, just, <laughs> just like how does metaphysics relate to your moon? Well, let's ask why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is great, Dave. So, any other anything you want to leave off on? I'm I'm definitely going to send people to uh, the Natural League Podcast and your website, and and so they can find you. You're practicing in Southampton, I think. In I'm in Port Elgin um, oh. half the time, and I'm in On Sound with Dr. Kara half the time. But I I think the best thing because if you leave too many things, I think people don't really understand. I think the best thing I'd like to do is is shunt everyone just to check out our podcast, that Naturopathic Podcast, because that's like a marketing love letter mm-hmm. for our whole profession and we bring on superstars like you and rich and uh paul anderson and and tanya lee and just like uh, we pick clinicians we just we love good clinicians and and sort of uh showing showing the world how naturopaths think and um if everyone would just go check out that naturopathic podcast and maybe um try and understand that the first few episodes we weren't as good at being hosts as, as we, um, (laughs) as we got to be, but like, that is, that is like what we're trying to show is the thinking process of good naturopaths and, um, or good naturopathic thinking processes is probably a more diplomatic way of saying it. Um, uh, and I, I think that's what the world needs. They need to understand how we think because what the, what we're seeing is people are sort of dissatisfied in a way with, with, uh, sort of a, a bare bones conventional approach and uh, they don't know yet how amazing uh, doctors like you and Kara and Jordan Robertson and all these other uh, naturopaths are. So just check out that naturopathic podcast and that would be the best thing to do. Best way to follow you. Yeah. It's such a good podcast. It's such a great service. The profession really like gets us out there in such a, a legitimate way and a very clear way because you're having really great conversations with clinicians, learning about their work and and talking about how they can help people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. I love it. Yeah, and I think and it, it was... was and, like, 
Sorry, wasn't it like number six in podcast, like after Peter Peter Atia? It's like Peter Atia. We had a good run there. We had a good run there. Oh no. Yeah, it 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 went down after that, but we have been up as as high as number six on Canada Medicine Podcast, and um, you know, I, it's interesting because that's not based on like crazy high production. You know, like we just send it, cut it, that's it. Here, put it out. It's and it's very conversational because um, it's me and Kara, and I think that helps because it's it's very it's very conversational so it's that's easy input to take in and we have great but we have great people like you on which which is what it's all about if you have good content then you go up you go up in those ratings and i i love that we went up you know we don't do it to be number one but hey when it says you're number six behind like mark hyman peter atia and a couple other like heavy hitters it's like cool we're doing something and that's based only on merit and that's that's based not on production and anything. It's just based on good content that we think people need to hear. Yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah, it's something. Mm-hmm. I'm following you. I rated you on Apple. Yeah, thanks. Well, I'll do the same. And you know, thank you so much for having me on on your podcast too, which you are pumping it out. Yeah, it was so easy to have conversations. My production is even lower than yours, but it's, <laughs> again, it's it's always there's always room for improvement. And it's the same with the with uh, being a better interviewer and host, and then figuring out how to edit the audio once it gets produced. But yeah, I mean, it's so easy because it's just like fun conversations that I book with people, and then mm-hmm. I use Anchor, and Anchor is pretty uh, pretty user friendly. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fun to be on this side of the of the uh, of the microphone, if that makes sense, or yeah. on this side, being the one interviewed. So, thank you. For, yeah, exactly. Uh, I know, on. like each has its challenges, though, right? It's like it does. <laughs> it does. All right, Dave. So, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah. Take Appreciate care. It. Okay.